Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that lives by the motto, Stay Wokes. Away from the anti-social media, England and New Zealand played out a closely contested draw at Lords as Test cricket became a spectator sport once again, even if the weather prevented everyone who attended from getting full value for money. Devon Conway wrote his name into the history books while someone else engraved it on the honours board, but New Zealand couldn't quite chalk up a win in a game reduced to four days. To read the runes, I'm joined by two men who don't have to worry about what they posted online as teenagers, mainly because the internet wasn't invented back then. ESPN UK editor uh, Andrew Miller and England correspondent George DeBell. Uh, how are we doing, gentlemen? Counting my blessings that I grew up before every um, every spit and cough of my childhood was recorded. Yes. Um, so, yeah, bring it on. Bring back the 90s. <laughs> Um, and uh, George, you're uh, annoyingly you're... healthy. I know we, we, we should tell people that I'm in isolation. You're, you're back in Birmingham, that's yeah. Uh... I have to go back to Birmingham ahead of the final day's play when I got pinged just as I was leaving my accommodation in London to go to work and uh, I couldn't go. So, um, despite having had two jabs and the virus, um, I, uh, I got pinged apparently being in proximity as many of us in the press box had been so lots of us were told we couldn't go so sadly I'm not available to go to Edgbaston which is almost within touching distance I'm in Edgbaston um, <laughs> uh, until Sunday morning which is you know annoying but you know there, there are rules for a reason yeah if you leave the windows open will it almost feel like you're in the ground um, interesting <laughs> It's very um, frustrating, of course it is, but um, it's fine. Those rules are there for a reason, and I, you know, yeah, it is what it is. They are indeed, yes. It's the, the mystery of the Lord's Media Centre track and trace uh, pings. And the system costs £37 billion, um, so it's bound to work. Uh, um, uh, no. Well, the, the, the takeaway <laughs> from it, well, really, I mean, there were one or two people who, who had track and trace and who uh, who's, didn't get pinged, as you know. But generally, the takeaway was, if you didn't have the track and trace app on your phone, you're in the clear, which is a weird incentive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably not how the system's supposed to work. I, I have to say, I did have the app with me and I didn't get things. So uh, we will um, we'll probably never get hanging to... out with you. <laughs> well, you were literally yeah. with me as well. <laughs> I mean, literally, you sat next to me and we went for a beer in the evening. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, my family... And everyone haven't got... you went for a beer with got pinged. I, don't, I think Charlie Charlie escaped from that as well. Oh, did he? But, uh, yeah. Um, but no, I haven't got any reason for my family to avoid me. Um, Miller, you've been, um, you have been dabbling on social media, uh, raising the profile of, of Hackney's finest uh, camel CC in the last few days. I have indeed. Yes, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've skived this test uh, for half term, but I managed to get back, get back to London in time to play for the glorious camel on Sunday. And uh, yes, uh, I had it, had it made, made aware to me that uh, in 1982, when Kuwait qualified for the Football World Cup, they brought out a, a hit single, Our Camel, Lovely Camel. And so, yes, I've adapted that uh, and uh, overlaid it with a few pics from Glorious Camel, and it is now our team song. So yeah, that, that, that's how I spent my half term. It was, it, was, it was jolly good fun, thank you. And getting a nice duelling scar as well. Yes, yes, for um, people listening in who don't have the benefit of the, the video here. Um, Miller, Miller um, was heroically clocked by a short ball a la Ricky Ponting, uh, um, Lord 2005, I think, that's right. That, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> written all over it. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got plenty of misdemeanors to get into. We'll um, we'll leave Miller's there. Let's um, let's touch on the Ollie Robinson business to start with. Uh, even though we discussed it on Newsroom yesterday, George, it's a bit of a hot takes hot mess with uh, everyone from the Prime Minister to Monty Panesar pitching in. Um, how much do you sense that this this matter of historic social media offences is going to become a problem for the ECB? Well, it's a problem, isn't it? It's already a problem now. Um, who knows how far it goes? It's really difficult. I, I have a lot of sympathy for the ECB. That's not a line you hear terribly often, is it? Um, <laughs> but the position they're in is uh, that while there may naturally be some sympathy to something someone's done a long time ago in immaturity, uh, at the same time, the game has to prove itself welcoming to people from all communities. 
and they have to be shown that the ECB takes these matters seriously. And and then there's a clash between those two positions. There just is, and there always will be. Uh, and so they're in a very difficult position. Personally, um, I'm not sure that punishment's the route to go, but it's easy for me to say that, isn't it? Um, personally, I would think education and community work is the way to go. Uh, and, and I thought the ECB's response of suspending Ollie Robinson for a short period, well, suspending him while they decide what to do, was entirely sensible. I, I can't, you know, people are saying they've been too harsh. They haven't done anything yet. They haven't done anything. So they've suspended him while they decide what to do. Um, I mean, isn't that what you want people to do? Make considered judgments. So uh, I, I'm all for criticising the ECB lots of the time, but it's not their fault. It really isn't their fault. Uh, and, and, and Ollie Robinson, I mean, yeah, I feel a bit sorry for him. I'm not sure he's the primary victim. And just quickly, I'll just outline something that happened. A few months ago, during the Yorkshire thing, as this whole heap of evidence emerged, it, it, it was a bit like this. You just start to think, well, how far back are we going to go? And how minor to major some of the offences are? You know, what's going to happen here? And I suggested an amnesty was a good plan. But it was pointed out to me by someone who had suffered some of this racist abuse that it's not my place to suggest an amnesty. As, you know, a white middle class male, I am not one of the ones who suffered. Uh, and so those of us who are naturally liberal in that way maybe need to take a step back and listen to those who have been affected by some of this stuff. So it's really, really difficult. And where it stops, I do not know. Yeah, these are these are complex matters, and sort of Miller, we've been we've been seeing over the last year or so um, about talk around diversity and representation in the game and all that sort of thing. I mean, is this is this an opportunity again for for the ECB had obviously launched their their program around um, uh, the moment of unity before the test, and obviously the timing of of all these tweets coming out was was bad in that respect. But is it uh, just reinforces that chance to educate and inform, I suppose, and try and improve cricket's reputation on that front? Yes, it has to be. It, it's got it's got to be an opportunity to, to to use this as a learning experience. I think is is the phrase that people like to like to use. But I I still maintain that there is something deeply uncomfortable about rooting through historic tweets. I'm, now, I, I think it is easy to forget quite how quickly society has changed, quite how quickly the world has changed since the mid-2000s, even, even mid-2000s, you know, 2010, 2013. You know, that was the absolute infancy of Twitter. I mean, Twitter had been around for, what, maybe, maybe five, ten years. But, you know, I think I got on Twitter in 2010 and I had absolutely no idea what the point of it was. I think the first thing I followed was Big Ben Clock, which basically said bong, and then bong, bong, and bong, bong, bong. It's like, I finally found a use for Twitter. It's going to tell me what time it is every time I log on. Then what, it, then what did it say? You and then it said bong, 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 bong. It's, it, okay. you know, it, 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 it's gold. I, I literally <laughs> thought that Twitter was a pointless waste of time, but everyone was getting on it. Therefore, I better get a Twitter account. It wasn't until I went out to Bangladesh in 2010 and there was a match going on, a warm-up ga game at Fatula, and suddenly I had this, this light bulb moment. I realised what Twitter was for, because there I was, I was in a position where I could tell people what was going on in the game that was not being covered in any other live format. And so I suddenly had people piling on and following me because I was providing information. Up until that point, Twitter was an absolute waste of my life, and I would, God knows what I was saying on it, but I dare say, if I had been young and naive and stupid, I would have said things that I would regret because I'm, you know, I've had 10, 20, 30, 100 followers, basically bantering among your mates. You basically, at that time, I think people thought that Twitter was basically just stream of consciousness, burp it out in the ether, it'll be forgotten. I think there's been a massive sea change in the last 10 years at least, uh, probably since Donald Trump came on board and, and, and politicized Twitter and you suddenly realize that there is more to this platform than perhaps we ever imagined. But I think, you know, let's talk about the amnesty. I think amnesty is absolutely the right thing to say because I genuinely don't think there's anybody in the world who will have gone through life before social media and not realise that that moment when social media comes into, into, into being and suddenly everything previously was in your thoughts and then 
poof, they're gone because you haven't written them down anywhere. Suddenly, this is like you know, it's like the doomsday book. It's all, it's all, it's all down there. I, it's a, it's a sea change. And so I feel very, very sorry for Ollie Robinson in that respect. What he said was reprehensible, and there's actually no question that what he said was wrong. But I still feel as though there's a, there is a societal shift that previously that sort of stuff would have stayed in his head. And frankly, I suppose the more important part of this is that, is that he's a product of his society as well. And to blame the individuals who have said stupid things as kids is, is to almost to exonerate the system in which they have said them. And, you know, George did some magnificent studying uh, and, you know, the work he's been doing on, on inc inclusivity has been, has been agenda setting, frankly, uh, in the last, last few years. But I think, was, I think one, of the, one of the lines that was drawn out last year was that, what, there were 30, 33 uh, players of black ethnic minority um, in 18 counties, I think, I think 33, uh, you know, and the, we've seen that, seen that, you know, the, there is a prevalence of only one Asian coach in Bikram Solanke. There's an absolute prevalence of white thought within dressing rooms. And therefore, that's, it's inevitable that people are going to come up with, with banter, for what, want of a better word, that is just ignorant because they're not getting, getting the wider access to society, see what I mean? Um, I think I think there's it does point at at an institution that has got too many kids coming through it who are not getting the education or certainly haven't been getting the education. Everybody we've been talking to in the last few days, Jimmy Anderson did a did press conference this morning. He's been talking about the workshops that they've been doing in recent times. The, you know, absolutely drilling down that you know this isn't just about wearing T-shirts with slogans on the back. This is about absolutely getting to the nub of an issue that that has been exposed through areas that, pre that pre previously would not have come into the public domain, do you see what I mean? So yes, there's a, there, there's a huge, I've got a huge sympathy for Ollie Robinson in that he's, I think George mentioned the word poster boy for, for this change. It's not quite the right word, but it's, it, it's, it, it kind of gets to the point. Somewhere, someone has got to take a fall for this just to get, get the message across that, yeah, you cannot say this stuff, but equally, there has been an entire history of, of cricket that has gone on without this sort of tipping point moment. Um, I've probably blethered for long enough, but I do, I do believe that, 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 that Twitter is a different beast now to what people probably thought it was when they first started using it, particularly age, age 16, 18. Yeah, and there, there, there are sort of um, issues running uh, sort of side by side as well here, aren't they? It's not just uh, about um, people being offensive or, or, or holding kind of racist sentiments or, uh, uh, or expressing themselves badly whilst trying to be funny or, or, or whatever it is. But it's, it's also dealing with growing up on social, social media that, you know, a generation uh, ago, that wouldn't have been an issue. I think R. Ashwin um, actually made this point when sort of tweeting in, in solidarity with, um, with Ollie Robinson. I suppose the level of the debate as well is um, it's a it's a nuanced um, topic, um, the, the, you know, race and representation uh, in cricket. It, it tells you something about where we are um, in this whole debate when wisdom is being described as enthralled to the BLM movement. Um, but uh, George, I suppose that we're going to just keep, have to keep having these conversations, aren't we? Yeah, it's healthy to have the conversations in the grand scheme of things. I think society's changed a lot, as Miller says, undoubtedly. Um, certainly, uh, well, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I have said things habitually, certainly would have said and done things in the past that I certainly wouldn't do now. And, um, you know, I've been talking to a few colleagues over the last few days. Um, about you know reflecting on you know changes that we would expect in ourselves and you know things we've done which we were embarrassed by uh, and so you know you, you you have to be aware of that when writing these stories i mean I, I don't know whether we've even done the right thing i don't know if i did the right thing writing up those stories i think as a journalist you can't you shouldn't try and be too clever you know you just tell the bloody truth and let the cards fall sometimes i would have felt uncomfortable looking the other way as well don't know the answers <laughs> to be honest uh, the, the, as you say they're very difficult questions I, look I agree with everything that Miller's just said I do I agree with all of it apart from the fact that just to put it Ollie Robinson wasn't a child 
I mean, he, he was young and he was at an age when, God knows, we, we make silly mistakes, but I think he was old enough to know best. I completely take your point there, George. One thing I will say, though, is that it's not, it's not news that Ollie Robinson was sacked by Yorkshire for being immature and basically a waste of rations. We knew this already. It's part of, part of the fascinating backstory of Ollie Robinson in that sometime around the time that he's sending these tweets, Jason Gillespie decided, you know what, you're never going to cut it on your bike, son. And suddenly he's, he's, found, he's found a... Yeah, that's a, all true as well. Found, found, found himself in a position whereby he's almost got evidence that, yeah, this is, this is the git that I used to be. Yeah. And this is the guy I am now. And this is all actually, I feel it feeds into the same story. So, yes, you're right. He was, he was old enough to know better. But quite clearly, everything we know about Ollie Robinson's journey to test cricket is that he was not old enough. He was stupid and yeah. he was young and he was naive. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and I agree with that. I, I really do agree with uh, everything you said, except, except you've got to convince the guys who cricket hasn't taken with them in the last few years. So the guys that I've been talking to, you've got to uh, convince Ishmael Daywood. You've got to uh, convince Michael Carberry that the game um, is strong on these issues. Uh, uh, and, you know, it, it, yeah, that's why it's so difficult for Ashley Giles and co. They do have to show that this can't be tolerated, that this isn't right. But but at the same time, they take all those things that Miller said, uh, which, which is why I, I, I've got no certainty in this area at all. Um, I just think it's difficult. But I do think in the very grand scheme of things that it's maybe progress that we're having these conversations reflecting and we've just got to keep listening and learning and maybe just be a bit kind to each other, which includes the media. Uh, in how we're reporting it and whether I've got that right. I don't know. I mean, we'll continually reflect on that. It looks like there's going to be an endless stream of these stories um, to, to a greater or lesser degree. Some of them are, are absolutely absurd. I mean, some of the things that I've seen England players accused of are, are, are the most sort of, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's a cultural misunderstanding, some of it. And some of it is genuinely um, disturbing, even. I would say Ollie Robinson's tweets were quite disturbing. They were bizarre, actually. Mm. But, um, you know, how do we make things better? I'm not positive that punishment is definitely the way to go. And I do think there'll be people involved in that team who have learned from this, as most of us have, I think, genuinely, since the, probably since the George Floyd murder. I do think it started the conversation. I, I do think that if you haven't learned anything in that time, you're probably a bit of an idiot. <laughs> uh, and, and I think we've got to keep on doing that. And, uh, you know, I don't have any of the clever answers, I'm afraid. But I do have some sympathy for the ECB in a very difficult position. And I do think for what it's worth, and I know there's doubt, I think that they, they want to be better. They want the game to be more um, inclusive. They really do. I, I, I believe that. And the point is about, you know, maybe they, maybe, don't know, maybe they have to punish Ollie Robinson to show that they are being inclusive. I don't know. That's, that's the counter argument. And somewhere in the middle, there, there is probably a wise path through this, but and I think it includes um, outreach, community work, volunteering. The other, the other aspect that I, I mean, talking about the the journey that everyone has to go on to to in this in this in, in inclusive world, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the journey I've been on because you know you've got your wisdoms lined up behind you. You've got uh, um, you mentioned you know the, the 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 critique that Michael Henderson had of of wisdom in in under under Lawrence Booth's excellent editorship. My first job was at Wisdom. Um, I, I joined as a photocopier straight from um, university in 2001. Uh, so that, that was before the internet really exploded. I worked at wisdom.com, uploading, um, basically scanning Wisdoms in to be to create the database that is now Quick Info, a long, long, long drawn out process to, to when the two married up together. But essentially around the time that the internet was just on the rise, Wisdom realised that, oh, look, I mean, we've, got a, we've got a huge, great market out in India that we've not really tapped into. That'd, that'd be fascinating. Do you think, do you think we, could, we could possibly reach out and, and, and make, 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 our, make our footprint a bit bigger? I mean, it, it was absolutely naive stuff, to be honest. I mean, there was an initial column. Um, we had a, a column, literally a column on, on Wisdom.com called Asian View. I mean, Asian View. I mean, absolutely mad to think that this, this was actually a progressive moment. It was written by Cameron Abassi, a very fine writer, but who's actually by day, he's a, he's a, he's a GP, I think, in Bradford or something. So 
he, he has a lot, a lot to say about cricket. He's a massive cricket fan. But he was basically the, the token Asian view for wisdom. I mean, but this was progress, you see. This was, this, was, this was actually a massive step, even though if you look back now, you'd think, my God, that's, that's, that's hopeless tokenism. But you've got to start somewhere. And then slowly, slowly but surely, it became clear that, you know, the, the reach that wisdom.com, uh, which was now Crickinfo, had was way beyond anything that Wisdom the book had ever got. So suddenly, Sambit Bal, who was, you know, he, he, was, he was setting up Wisdom India, he becomes the, 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 the main man at Crick Info because, you know, you realise what, what has previously been an area that was excluded by definition because, you know, you can only be included in areas you understand. And we did not have the sort of hotline to India that we suddenly got with the internet. So inclusivity is a journey. Inclusivity is a journey that has accelerated so bloody quickly in the space of 20 years, in the space of my career. You know, I started, it's quite obvious, I'm a public school boy. My, my, my upbringing in Dorset in public schools was, was pretty white-based. Um, that, that, that is a fact. It also is a clear fact that most of the finest journalists and, and people I work with are Asian. I've, I have had the opportunity to expand my horizon through working in cricket. And this is something that I think that cricket is actually doing really rather well. I mean, in spite of the historic stuff that we're digging out here, I think cricket's journey collectively is far better than, than, the, than the bad rap it's being given right at the moment. In fact, before I came on here, we had uh, Philip Schofield and Vanessa Feltz were, were chatting about cricket downstairs, of, of, you know, as if, as if it was this, this hellhole of... In your living room. In my, yeah, yeah, well, yeah Sarah, Sarah's, Sarah's busy cleaning, so I'm, don't, don't blame me for, for, for this morning. But uh, you know, that was on in the background. And lo and behold, there she is. She's, she's blethering away, passing judgment on cricket. But I think cricket is doing a far better job of this journey towards inclusivity. But like I say, you cannot be included in something that you don't understand. And, and before the internet gave us the opportunity to you know, converse converse with our, with our colleagues in India, just, just a click, a click of a button. It, it's in, incredible to think how, how much that has changed and that, how much that changes the narrative and how much that means that everything about what cricket used to be, white dominated, it's still public school dominated. It's, you know, it, it, these, these, are the, these are the areas from which it has grown up in this country. But that's not to say this, is, this, it, this has to be the way it, it always is. It's just, you, you, you know what you know until you know better. <laughs> that's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very roundabout way of, of excusing bad thoughts. But you, can't, you cannot just assume that, that, that kids, just because they're, they're 18, 19, you cannot assume that they, they know better automatically. They can only know better by hanging around with people who will, will teach them better. See what I mean? This is good, right? In a, yeah. in a, in a, in a way. I mean, the fact that we're having these conversations and people are learning that what was once thought to be appropriate isn't. In the very grand scheme of things, this is progress. Honestly, I think it could be the making of Ollie Robinson. Won't feel like it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, progress is uh, messy and not a straight line either. Right. Um, I'm sure there will be one day uh, uh, an Asian or British Asian editor of Wisdom and uh, hopefully everyone will be able to deal with that. Um, let's let's talk about Robinson on the field where hopefully we all have a little bit more certainty um, as a cricketer. He looked he looked at home from the start. He took four wickets in the first innings, uh, three wickets in the, in the second. So match figures of seven for 101. Uh, he scored 42 with the bat. He dismissed each of New Zealand's top four. Um, and Georgie looked very much at home. Yeah, it was a really impressive debut for uh, Robinson um, on the field. Um, I mean, he batted nicely too, which, you know, it matters in that side with its brittle batting. And, and several bowlers who can't. So, he, 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 you know, his runs possibly saved England from following on and then losing the game. But, yeah, more importantly, his bowling, wow. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a more impressive debut than that, not just in terms of wickets. I mean, Chofra looked the part, didn't he, almost immediately. But uh, he just bowls the most magnificent length. Uh, it, it, just that perfect length. And he does it again and again. He can nibble it away. And the, the one that comes in seems to cut in miles. Uh, he's quick enough, hits the pitch hard, looks strong and fit. 
showed character in coming back after these the news stories um which must have been really difficult you know just to concentrate put it out of his head compartmentalize uh i thought it was a hugely impressive uh performance absolute nailed on for the ashes uh whether he's first choice for the india series uh he'd be really really close i mean he'd be in your, your top six uh themers right now i think and uh yeah um he looked uh, like a man who's going to play lots of tests um uh, george i think knows the answer to this because it, it was a stat that came up while we were at the ground but miller there there were uh three other england bowlers um this century who've who've started with seven wickets or more on debut um uh, see if you if you can uh name them uh, Dominic put, Cork put put you on the spot spot there oh, this no, century no, so since 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 two thousand oh, since two thousand oh right okay yeah, well, yeah. so you you were probably well, I'm right with Dominic Cork got seven of them but <laughs> <laughs> just didn't know what the date was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's this century uh, <laughs> it's hard to know what century we're in sometimes you know with the topics that we're discussing but Cody um, Roland Jones yeah yeah that's nice. The, yeah, that's the most recent one. Okay, well, um, I'll, I'll I'll settle for that because actually I thought I thought he bowled <laughs> very much like Roland Jones did. Four years ago, Ron Jones is absolutely locked in for the Ashes after a fantastic debut at the Oval, and sadly, he had his injury problems, which just won't go away. But you know, the engine that he's that he's got is very similar. The discipline, the the, the sense that he's got a little bit more than he's that he's giving, but what he's giving is just pure spear carrying discipline. If you're going to have guys like Joffrey Archer and Mark Wood buzzing around the lug holes of of Australian batsmen, you want to have someone at the other end who's just going to absolutely nag away. Uh, with perfect length and perfect line, Razor Razor esque, exactly. I've <laughs> uh, go on. Give me the other two because I can't. I can't. I can't think. Of I won with James Curtly. Oh, I think Jesus. he he, he took an eight for, didn't he? Uh, that's right. Yes, um, eight and for two hundred and fourteen. Who's the other? The other one, oh, James uh, Anderson. Uh, we got a five for him. We got five for him. James Anderson. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think there's something that sort of links and hopefully isn't a, a, um, an omen for Ollie Robinson that all three of these guys um, were impressive in their own way uh, and yet didn't really end up with um, Richard Johnson t- test careers. Not chat. Richard Johnson. Martin um, uh, more recent, more recent, um, retired only last year, um, in fact. Gosh. The uh, the uh, the lesser uh, heralded Graham Onions, who took oh, seven for one hundred and two against West Indies uh, in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, uh, in in good company, certainly um, it, it's sort of pedigree for England debutants, uh, and hopefully uh, Ollie Robinson is in the conversation for many years to come. I think he was being likened to sort of Josh Hazelwood uh, in terms of his kind of his action and so on. Um, and, and and sort of Glenn McGrath. I think Hazelwood's got several MPH on him, but uh, still, um, Hazelwood. Though, Hazelwood, though, yeah, I think he's the, the I think he's fast bowling perfection. So just the fact, <laughs> I, I really do. I just think he's magnificent. Uh, so just the fact that we're talking about these comparisons <laughs> yeah. are, are amazing. And, and the McGrath thing, I get uh, because he bowled that length and late career. Mm. He maybe didn't have, didn't have the pace he used to have, but these are. You know, we're, we're going a bit far there, but mm. that shows you. Look, I thought I, I was sort of more reassured that England had depth beyond Broad and Anderson. Nothing wrong with Broad and Anderson. I thought they bowled much better than their figures suggested. Um, but there was a bit of depth behind them. So I'm more confident for the future than, than maybe I have been. And um, yeah, you, you need a, a battery of... Fast bowlers, we know this, and uh, there's another one to add to the list. And by the way, I think Craig Overton will will do a job this week if he plays as well. I mm. I think he'll go fine. Yeah, he's uh, he's on the well in line potentially for a return to the side, particularly with Robinson's uh, out of the equation for this second test. Um, obviously, Chris Wokes wasn't even in the discussion for this because of his time at the IPL. Um, Mark Wood was uh, was particularly impressive on on the second morning. Um, his he took three for 81 which kind of you know that aren't figures that jump off the page but his, his second best in England his best at Lords where he's played I think five tests now he was up at sort of 95 96 mile now from the very go um and then it was on that 
uh, that second day when he, the pace was probably a little bit down actually, but um, but he had the you know the 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 control and a little bit of movement there as well to um, prize out wickets in the New Zealand middle order. And Miller, he well George wrote about him being a point of difference, but uh, he is he's he's always going to be in the mix when when he can bowl like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, who doesn't love Mark Wood? I mean, it's just the <laughs> just the absolute wholehearted wheels. It's wonderful to watch. It's not always perfect in English conditions. And that, that that's something that is holding him back. I mean, clearly he only played one test last year, probably on the slowest pitch of the lot, which was unfortunate for him and frustrating for him. So, you know, he's such an optimistic and bullion character that England have got to give him chances to 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 just strut his stuff, even if even if it's not necessarily the perfect scenario for him. I mean, you know, England can't just wrap him up in cotton wool for the, for the rest of the year and un, un, unleash him at Brisbane. I mean, he's got to play. He, he, he's done such, such hard yakka to overcome so many injuries and get back and, and not only get back, but trust that he will still fling himself bodily at the crease, even though his, his ankle could go twang at any moment. It's heroic. It's absolutely magnificent to watch. And I think uh, he deserves the chance to, to keep wanging it, um, even if, um, you know, even if it breaks him occasionally. It, it, you know, there's long enough, I believe there's, you know, you can, you can trust him to bowl while at the same time keep it a little bit in cotton wool just for the really important games. Because if they just wrap him up in cotton wool and, and say, go on then, knock yourself out of Brisbane, you're wasting a magnificent sight. And who, who doesn't want to see Mark Wood steaming in bowling 97 miles an hour? I, I bloody do, even if, it, even if it's not actually the perfect delivery for, for the conditions. Uh, yeah, I agree, with, uh, I agree with all that as well. It's just um, uh, since the last ankle surgery, which was probably 18, 2017, 18, um, maybe as early as 17, um, he, he's been terrifically fit. He had that side strain. But his ankle's been good since he had the last lot of surgery and since he lengthened his run-up. Mm. It just feels like a new bowler. I think I said before that we, we ought to uh, do his statistics before St. Lucia and after St. Lucia. And that, that, he's a different bowler. you just got to think of him as a different person. Since that St. Lucia test where he bowled at the speed of light, <laughs> um, he, he has been terrific. The wickets haven't always come, but that, like that first test the last summer that you alluded to there, Miller, the one at the Aegeus, he bowled fine. Not absolutely fine. I think he had a catch drop too. Um, you know, the, the results don't always show, but he's such an asset to have in the side. And the great thing is, he shouldn't need to be overworked once you've got an all-rounder or two back in the side and once you've got uh, Ollie Stone and Joffre to rotate. So I wouldn't expect him to necessarily play this week. I'd be a bit surprised if he did. Uh, but that's okay. And, and I agree. How many tests he plays against uh, India? I don't know. Maybe, maybe two? Uh, how many tests he plays against Australia? Don't know. Two or three? You know, he he does need to be used in short spells. Uh, a bit like uh, Mitchell Johnson. And that only works if the rest of the team are bowling well as well. But um, what an asset. <laughs> and absolute riveting viewing. That was one of the most um, exciting passages of play. You know, flat wicket, set passes. England probably take four for six. Absolutely brilliant. And he's got skill too. He's not just a slinger. By any means, he bowled with real pace and real skill. He got moved, uh, balls to go up the pit, uh, up the slope. Brilliant, brilliant bowl. And, and the fact that the other end in that four for six was Ollie Robinson getting getting in the in the wickets too. That that mm. augurs well for Wood. If, if if Robinson can come through all of these issues and be trusted again to to lead the line in in that in that workman role, you know that gives gives Wood even more license to really cut loose because he'll he'll know he's got a guy at the other end who's going to put in put in the long stints, give nothing away, give him full license to attack. And I mean, it, it, it's in, it, on paper, it looks a hand in glove partnership to me. Um, and and interestingly, um, I mean, George mentions Broaden Anderson bowling fine, um, but having a bit of pressure on them. You know, we've been talking about succession plans for a long time. Um, James Anderson equaled Alistair, Cook, Alistair Cook's England record for test appearances, uh, and he will quite possibly surpass him this week at Edgbaston. Um, Broad is not far behind as well. He, I think he's sort of 140-odd tests. Um, 
but has just had this um, wicketless run. I think the longest or uh, five innings in a row uh, without taking a wicket, which has uh, not happened before, although most of that was in the subcontinent in pretty inhospitable conditions. Um, and he finally did get his his first um, dismissal for 488 deliveries on the uh, on that final morning at Lords. But um, uh, one thing that kind of New Zealand's uh, openers uh, and Devin Conway, who will come on to, had a, a, a pretty superlative debut. Um, Tom Latham's been around a bit, but they both got through Broad and Anderson in the first an- innings and the second innings, uh, Miller. So um, there, there's just a little bit of heat on, on the two old dogs. There is, although, I mean, as I think George alluded to, the, the, some, of the, some of the bowling in those spells was magnificent. I mean, you know, they, they remain... Who remain a peerless pair in English conditions, and uh, you know, you've got to cherish them, haven't we? I mean, it, it, it does feel as though, with what um, with what um, has been said at the start of the summer, Chris Silverwood sort of saying that you know, playing numbers one and two in the world would be good preparation for the Ashes. It's a funny way, <laughs> funny way to build up the summer, but what it, does, what it does imply is that the Ashes is the absolute be all and end all, and it's probably going to be the end of a few careers. I mean, if you build it up that much from this distance out, you do wonder if. I mean, come through the ashes, we'll see Broad and Anderson again. I mean, who knows? They'll probably keep grinding on because they're, they're, they're cyborgs. But the chances are that this could be the last summer because, you know, as you mentioned, there is succession I, I, plans have got to happen at some stage. I can uh, tell you this. If Stuart Broad were here, he would be saying, I'm not the same age as Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> he would. But he's just gone 488, 488 deliveries without taking a wicket. Come on, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talk about them like Anton Deck, though, don't we? I mean, they can work separately. Unlike Anton Deck, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I, I don't know. Look, it's a good thing that there's strength in depth, and it's a good thing that England selectors might have to make some tricky decisions at some stage. Um, because, yeah, you mentioned Chris Wokes. He's actually got a better record in England in Test <laughs> cricket than either of them, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's bad. So, uh, these are good problems to have. We must never lose sight of that. But, yeah, of course it could end. But, I mean, Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> I remember talking to him in Sydney at the end of the last Ashes there. And he's going, yeah, it'll be the last test. Um, and then he said, when is the next series? Going? Oh, four years. And you could tell <laughs> he doesn't know when he's beaten. He's already defied every projection and every bit of logic. Yeah. Who knows where it ends? But yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought in the last year at times he'd bowled as well as he's ever bowled. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long it can go, I don't know. It, could end, it really could end tomorrow, and you have to be aware of that. He's 39, for God's sake. Yeah. But look at Darren Stevens. <laughs> still, <laughs> still going at the top level at well, 45. I, I remember Anderson getting really cross with me in an interview in about 2017. It was, it was when England were out in India. He had, he had, he had a broken mm. shoulder. And, <laughs> and I, I put it to him, that, come on, Jimmy. You're, you're, you're basically, I basically said, you're a nut job to try and want to go out to India of all places with a broken Ooh. shoulder and, and, and put in the hard yards and probably get no reward for it. But he was absolutely adamant. I'm, I don't care. I'm, I'm fit as a fit as a fiddle apart from my broken shoulder. And <laughs> lo, and behold, lo and behold, he is. And there he was back out in India four years on, uh, doing doing the business. So yeah, and amazing, yeah. by the way, for people who say, you know, he only works in green conditions all the rest of it but he was desperate to go on that india tour four years mad, when it? he was injured he could have easily have picked up a paycheck sat it out protected his figures he's mad for it he and, and and he didn't have a good tour he wasn't actually at his best he needed more bowling but he will never know that because and that's you know you want that warrior in your side don't you the captain's dream um yeah he I remember what I mean. Obviously, he's a, Jimmy Anderson is a much better cricketer. Dougie Brown had some of the same character about him, and I remember thinking, "How's it ever going to end for him?" <laughs> going to slower and slower, and, <laughs> and eventually he had to be carried off. I think his crucial <laughs> snapped or something. And I think there's a bit of the same in Jimmy that it's he he'll never know he's beaten, and I don't think he'll ever lose his appetite for it. And whatever skills he loses, he seems to compensate elsewhere. Incredible, the spirit of renewal and improvement for those two. I've never seen anything like it. You, you see people make improvements to their game, but they've reinvented themselves. Stuart Broad, actually, in particular, has you know shortened his. He's changed massively. So, do you remember he was the enforcer for years? Yeah. And now he's a pitched up, nagging, fast medium, typical English seamer. He's Chris Rushworth. Nobody <laughs> is. Chris Rushworth is doing all great these great names. In English, uh, yeah. In English uh, conditions, I've no doubt. But Stuart Broad's doing an even better job. So what do you do? 
I thought you were going to drop in um, Ricky Clark a minute or two ago there. You could have been wearing your T-shirt and giving another plug. I should have done. It's a missed opportunity. <laughs> Testimonial year. Um, find out more online. Uh, There's only one person in this call who, who witnesses entire test career, then. <laughs> Wicket in his first we'll... ball of international cricket and a 50 in his first test, doesn't it? That's one, yeah. We can do a, a, a set, 2003. We can, we can do a separate pod for that one. Um, <laughs> talking of of um, the long term goals of this England team uh, um, and the the ashes on the horizon, um, George, this was the the youngest top seven England had ever fielded in a home test, um, and any Australians looking on probably wouldn't have been too worried about what they saw. Well, uh, immediate aspiration for England is to get through a whole day without a Twitter tragedy, Twitter storm. <laughs> okay, that's number one. That's, that's just, one, just one day. Uh, poor Ashley Styles. What do you think? Um, so, something else broken while we've been talking on this, uh, so, so, this, this Zoom. It has, yes. <laughs> I mean, it has. I, it, I haven't it, checked my messages. I oh, it know. has, but I, I don't know whether you, it's been reported. But I, I, yeah, there's 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 more tweets which, you know. Anyway, um, England's aspirations. Look, Australian people will love to point out that they didn't go for the victory on the final day, and mm. uh, it would have been fun if they had, wouldn't it? I, I, you know, I remember the Gordon Greenwich innings at Lords in '84 really clearly, and it was just invigorating and wonderful. England aren't the West Indies of 84. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> I think that, that, that middle order of young batters was bowled out for 22 between them. 22 for five, wasn't it, in the first inning? Uh, they're not that good. So the, it would have been hubristic, in my view. Fun, but hubristic, to, to go for that chase. Of course they wanted to win. Of course they did. But then they go out there and they find that the bowling's really good. You know, Tim Southey is bowling brilliantly at the moment. Carl Jameson's a gem of a find. So they found it difficult. They decided to just try and bat for a bit, and then they're behind the rate. Uh, it would have been lovely, but I think it is a reflection of where England are as a team, particularly a team without Ben Stokes in it, that they don't have a lot of confidence, and their lack of confidence in their batting, I think, is probably pretty well-founded. So I thought it was a hard battling draw, I think there's still a place for that in test cricket. Um, and well, talking of hard battling, uh, Rory Burns, hundred um, Miller, his first in in test since November 2019. Um, an important reminder of his value to the side. He was obviously dropped over the over the winter. Yes, indeed, and uh, you know he he was also embroiled in a rather more recent um, vintage Twitter storm. So he he. He came into this into this summer with an awful lot hanging on him. To be honest, he, I did a did a did a Surrey uh, Media Day interview with him in which he was monosyllabic to the point of rudeness, frankly. But why wouldn't he be? He had he had absolutely nothing to gain from talking to the media about his his spat with the England women's team. He had nothing to gain from making big pronouncements about how he's going to get his England place back. All he had to gain was time in the nets and and time in the middle and get the runs. And he's done that. He's he put together a string of 50s. I can't remember how long it is, eight, eight or nine in a row, is it? Some, 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 something remarkable. He's not, eight not and ten in, eight ten and ten in, in, something like that. Yeah. But either way, he's, he's really knuckled down. He's not got the massive score until, until this test, but he's just ground out, time in the middle, done the needful, got that, that, that remarkably idiosyncratic technique working for him again. And yeah, he had a little bit of luck in this, in this, in this innings, a couple of notable misses, but. At the same time, there he was, just knuckling down, not getting drawn into the into the horror show at the other end with the flighty drives that Dan Lawrence and Crawley were pulling off. He just he just nudged and nerdled and did his very best Alistair Cook impression. In fact, it was the best. I think it was the first opener century since Cook got got a um, got his hundred uh, Lords in 2015, wasn't it? At Lords, I think. Yeah, um, that's right. So, and it was a very similar vintage innings. It's like there he was. One paced but absolutely critical to the to the collective good of the team. At the other end, we got the boy races teeing off last time around in 2015. It was it was uh, Root and Stokes to rather greater effect than yeah. than, 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 the twin, than the four for 22 mob. But uh, but you know they've got to learn, haven't they? And 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 the best way best way for young players to learn is to know that, that at the other end there's a guy who's not going to budge. So um, you know give him support and the collective. 
good of the team will, will benefit because, you know, the, going back to the stated goals of this team, uh, the Ashes is clearly the end game for, for this, this cycle for England. And the start of that was out in New Zealand when England were, were absolutely focused on batting time and putting 400 runs on the board in the first innings. They didn't manage it this time, but with Burns digging in with that sort of resolve, with a little bit more, a little bit less flightiness in the middle order, a bit more quality from, from the guys who've been missing in, the, in recent times, uh, and a bit more experience for, for guys who will get better, like, like Lawrence and Pope and co. Um, I think there, there's, there's good times in the, around the corner for England, but, uh, but <laughs> you cannot get away from the fact that New Zealand are a bloody good team with, 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 with every right to go into the World Test Championship final, uh, I think as favourites, frankly, because, you know, they've, they've got the game time in England, they've got the seamers to exploit English conditions, and um, they've, got a lot, <laughs> they've got a lot of reason to want to uh, succeed in England after a rather notable near-miss last time around. You know, they've, they've been yeah. a magnificent team for six years, and this <clears> is probably <throat> their best shot at, at, at getting the silverware to prove how good they are. Uh, uh, so yeah, I think I think they'll be the neutrals' favourite coming come, <laughs> come the Aegeus Bowl, put it that way. You do wonder um, how attacking the declaration would have been if, if Ben Stokes was in the side and the prospect of another Lord's chase uh, to, to, <laughs> to go through. Um, before we move on, we will talk about New Zealand, who were um, the better side throughout and um, uh, very much uh, worthy of uh, uh, pushing for a win. Um, just uh, on the subject of solidity at the top, George, um, Dobbs, Dom Sibley grinding like a rusty bike chain, but uh, 60 off 207, uh, his first double figures score in seven innings. Um, again, I think Malcolm Conn's first piece back as a, as a journalist was to, uh, to, to do a hatchet job on England uh, on Sunday um, and say uh, how the sight of Burns and Sibley twerking away uh, would be sort of uh, X-rated, uh, come the ashes, you know, avert your eyes kind of thing. But because um, Steve Smith, such a beauty. <laughs> yeah, we we could probably talk all day about the relative technical merits. Is, it is about how many, not how. <laughs> and I think you would uh, admit that English batting isn't in a golden age. It's not. I mean, it, th- these guys aren't Graham Gooch. They're, they're just not. But. I think they're the best available. And I think that they've got some good quality. They're tough. They're determined. They have, I mean, they're thinking outside the box, aren't they? Those, those two fellas, they have worked it out the right way. And I, I, I admire that. It is working for them. They, they have bucket loads of runs at county level. They, they have proved their worth. And actually, their test records, they're modest, but they've both had moments of success. I know people will go for at this. I think Dom Sibley saved that test for England. I think if he had been out for naught, England might well have lost it. <laughs> I thought they looked under real pressure against a very good New Zealand side. Um, you know, I think Dom Sibley will infuriate Australia's bowlers. That's probably when you've got a top technique like Dom Sibley in particular, but Burns as well, is that if it is out of sync, things can go wrong and look very bad. But all I would say is Devin Conway has a his own technique a bit as well he is very open um he wasn't sideways on and uh i, I noted that some of the same commentators suggesting that some of england's players should be more sideways on were the same ones praising conway so there are different ways of doing it but i actually uh, <laughs> if anyone has better ideas for who to, to open i'm all ears but it's not as if they haven't tried you know, hasn't pretty much everyone tried? And maybe Hasib will come back into the side and that would be lovely. Maybe he's the future. But these guys are actually, you know, Dom Sibley's not old. He just plays like a bit of, he plays <laughs> with a lot of maturity in some yes. ways. Uh, but, but he's not old and he hadn't had a lot of batting. And I don't think that was the most, you know, he'll get a bit more fluent. I think I said on Twitter, he, he, he will hustle the Australian bowlers. They will think they're going to get him every ball and he will bat for a day and a half i i think he is as good a bet to do well as in australia as anything we have uh, and how will it go i mean australia are favorites of course they are they're, <laughs> they're strong favorites and they will bounce it do you know what i love about those two guys burns and, and sibley when they're batting well they don't nick off that's incredibly unusual for openers you know did you notice this with new zealand they actually stopped trying to get birds nicking off in the first innings they're just, he's not. He's not going to go there. He's not, he's not even going to try and score a run over there. 
he's just going to leave all day and he's got a decent defense he knows where stumps are so they went with the leg theory and he had he just got a flurry of runs now australia will go with the leg theory and they'll do it quicker and they'll do it maybe a bit more sophisticated as they did with stoneman at perth and it was i don't know it was pretty exciting cricket but wow it was brutal and it'll be really really interesting to see what happens i don't know but uh I, I, those, those guys are going to get bounced they're going to get bounced a lot and how they fare might define what happens in the ashes Right, well, yes, uh, touring Australia uh, for England is is always about uh, <laughs> being bounced in, uh, uh, to the outback, I guess. And it will be a lot of fun uh, to cover. We should talk about New Zealand. Um, in particular, Devon knows how they make debuts, so dreamy Conway. Um, I'll quickly tot up the list. Um, his uh, 200, round 200, was the seventh men's double centurion on debut, the second for New Zealand. Uh, he was the oldest man to do so at 29. It was the highest score on debut by a man in England um, ever. He was the first overseas opener to score a men's Test 100 uh, on debut anywhere in England, um, let alone Lords. It, it is the most runs by an opener uh, on Test debut, passing Kepler Vessels. Um, Miller, I don't know how much you saw of it, but you know the numbers alone speak pretty loudly. They certainly do. I mean, what a, what a story he, he's got as well. Uh, our colleague Shashank wrote, wrote the definitive um, piece uh, for on him on, on Crick Info, the story of you know how he was a a, a, a youth youth group um, prodigy essentially. He, you know, he was he was he was Temba Vuma's um, uh, contemporary in two thousand nine two thousand ten. And just never got never got his opportunity. Never never got never got the the break that he needed to 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 get into the South African setup, and so sold everything. Sold 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 uh, sold his house, his car, moved to New Zealand, got his opportunity, and uh, at the age of twenty nine, I think, uh, has cashed in with with a magnificent debut hundred. I mean, yes, I saw enough to know that that he was stupendous. Um, <laughs> I, I I I must admit, I watched most of it. On 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 the cricket and ball by ball, um, so I won't I won't comment too much. But yeah, the numbers alone are, are, are staggering. Um, just just and 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 that's the, the six with which he got to two hundred was was also staggering. I did see that. Um, you know, he's got free flowing shots and and he's come good. And long long may yeah. long may he may that last for him because uh, he certainly certainly earned it the hard way. Yeah, I mean it's sort of solved a bit of a problem for, for New Zealand you'd think anyway um, although I, I, I guess mentioned of Hamish Rutherford uh, in recent um, New Zealand opening uh, batsman lists but um, yeah Tom Latham's partner they've had a few since since they got rid of Jeet Ravel um, who I think George was was opening when uh, you saw them on the last tour um, and it, yeah it was one of the one of the only weak areas actually I mean you could, mm. they could in a perfect world they'd have a you know, a stronger spinner, but mm. uh, of course they would. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the batting, yeah, they needed they needed one position filled to go up a level, I think, and they've done it. He was a little bit unsettled by Mark Wood, but that was about the only um, period when he didn't look in complete control. But, well, that that was interesting because it was a slow wicket at that stage, a good slow wicket. So I think it that was it was a really fun battle, um, but it showed that. You know what we we're talking about earlier, really, that Wood might be even more useful on overseas wickets or quicker wickets. But it was fun the way that Conway decided that he, I mean, it was he couldn't get out of the way in time because Wood isn't particularly tall. Uh, so he decided to pull and hook, and it was brilliant. I mean, and he did it really, really well. But um, he was hit really because he was, yeah, he didn't want to get himself out playing a, a, a defensive fencing shot, so he'd rather get hit than um, get himself in trouble. So that was quite interesting as well. But I, th I thought it was a really good battle and they both uh, excelled, to be honest. Another bit of trivia for you, Miller. Conway was the fourth South Africa-born player to score 100 on debut in England this century. Uh, none have been for South Africa. Uh, the other three... Uh... Oh, Jonathan <laughs> Trott. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Andrew all... Strauss. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt Pryor. Good. Home and host. Very, very good. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. You... <laughs> there should be an inquiry into how England lost out on Conway. I know, careless. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but you can understand it though, can't you? 
decided. I think they were they were they were they were playing golf one day him and his wife were they, and they decided yeah. New Zealand's nice. <laughs> it's such a logical decision. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know why more people don't do it. it Presumably, been to New Zealand it's about as close to paradise as you'll get. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, England's lovely, but except on the are, grounds where they play cricket. <laughs> That is well, unless you're a batter. Presumably, Trotty was just playing golf one day and thought Birmingham. Well, Trotty was <laughs> British, of course. He, he had um, so when he was playing for the youth sides, he was using his British passport, even when he was playing for South Africa under 16 and 19, I think. Uh, and he literally Trotty married the first person he met. In, uh, actually, that's not true. He, he met the hire car person at the airport, drove to Warwickshire, met his wife. Well, met his future <laughs> wife, but there we go. So it's like, yeah, amazing story. But he, he, it's slightly different because he already he was British from birth, mm. like KP. Well, well, yes. I mean, uh, I think he um, he would never claim to be either, though, did he? He just worked there. Um, well, I don't Zealand... know. I mean, you can be two things, can't you? I, I, would, I would claim to be both a New Zealander and a British person. Um, you can do both wholeheartedly without any compromise. Even, even though your, your family have disowned you for the things you wrote last time. It's um, like what I said about Hamilton, which, which I, I love Hamilton. I love Hamilton. But the pitch, there were just, my point was there are better things to do in Hamilton than go watch cricket. Yeah, Which that's true. Very nice what, river walk. What you were there Lovely for. Lovely river walk. <laughs> Although, you know, one day, I don't know if I've told this before, I went for a long run along the river and I came back and I was a bit hot and I didn't want to go into the hotel. And I was walking up and down the street, no doubt looking a bit sorry for myself, and someone from the Salvation Army offered me breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that's how bad I looked. Standard. <laughs> yeah. uh, a very hospitable country, uh, evidently. Um, we should uh, we just touch on on Birmingham and Edgbaston, uh, where there will be an even bigger crowd for the second test. Um, New Zealand could be stronger as well. I mean, we touched on Tim Southey taking six for and Carl Jameson uh, looking immediately at home um, in his first overseas test. Uh, and I haven't even I don't think we've got time to go into tantric Neil Wagner, which is what one of <laughs> one of Butch's sayings, I think. Um, but uh, Trent Bolt might be back for this game. Amazing! What a super attack! I mean, who, who, who? I mean, he has to play. If he's, I, I don't know how match fit he is. They tell me from Nets this morning he looks fresh, whatever that means. But if <laughs> if he, uh, who does he come in for? Or do you just play lots of seamers? You can't play lots of seamers. It will turn here. So, so what do you do? Who misses out? Do you rest someone? Well, At yeah, rotation. At full strength, you you probably leave out Wagner, don't you? Oof. Well, it is like for like swing bowlers. We 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 saw uh, Wagner the swinger uh, rather than non-stop chin music at Lords. Um, but don't you? What, what would you good, guys good, do? Good 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 problems to have. I'd, uh, that's what I'd Brilliant. talk about up under. <laughs> um, have to rest and rotate the veterans and give give Southie the match off. But you just could just, do that. just just a word on Southie though. I mean, you know, we talk mm. about the, the endless longevity of Broad and Anderson. You forget that Tim Southey made his debut on that same same tour that Anderson made his comeback in in two thousand eight, and in fact his his very first uh, act was to was to spank a ridiculous six <laughs> even seventy odd. It was absolutely yeah. extraordinary hitting. It was like Nathan Astle light. Uh, yeah. One of one of the one of the best displays of, of power hitting I've ever seen. When he was nineteen, I think, and he frankly he's not stopped hitting sixes since. He's, he's right <laughs> up there. If you look on the six hitting charts, you, you get down the usual list of suspects, and then suddenly Tim Southey pops up in about. 15th position it's amazing but what a what a warrior he's been i mean he, yeah. he, he he's just he's he's got you know he, he went a little bit out of favor briefly certainly one day one day stakes but uh i mean the, the performance he put in at lords was was magnificent and you know he's, he's a guy i think he's well he got 10 for last time around well 2013 wasn't he, he got 10 for at lords so he's, he's on the honors board three times uh now at lords which is um no mean feat and yeah the kiwi I mean, wokes Kiwi works, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Matt Henry could win you a test in in English conditions, I reckon. And the, you know the uh, the T20 side could have Milne and Ferguson as well. I mean, the depth and the pace and the quality, it's marvelous, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic. It's setting up well for the uh, uh, the real quiz for New Zealand over here, which is the World Test Championship final. Um, 
just on England, um, George, are we expecting Jack Leach back in the team for this one? You mentioned it will probably turn. I think so. I think you've got to play a spinner. I mean, look, England tend to play a spinner anyway. Wasn't it the first test in home test in nine years that they haven't played a spinner? Something like that. Mm. So uh, I would think Leach would play. I suppose people might be intrigued by the call-up of Don Best and think they want that extra batting as well. But I think Leach has absolutely nailed himself in as uh, first-choice spinner at this stage. Um, does create interesting dilemmas looking ahead, looking to India and Australia, whether the batting is long and strong enough. But um, I think uh, Leach, I think it, both sides will need a spinner at Edgbaston and, and Leach deserves the opportunity. And I, I, he, he won't let England down either. And we are, well, uh, the right in the thick of it now, um, Miller, with the international summer having begun. We've got the, the, the blast uh, starting on Wednesday. The uh, women's, uh, England women's contract news has been announced. We've got a test um, squad uh, to come uh, and they'll be playing India soon. So we're right in the, the thick of it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, no shortage of, of things to get stuck into. Absolutely. It's absolutely wall to wall action. And what more can we want with the sun finally? Shine. Yeah, uh, uh, well, we'll get back to um, digging through old tweets and, and so on, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that, I think, will we'll do us for today. Um, from culture wars to phony ones, England will continue their long-range ashes preparations by attempting to ruffle kiwi feathers at Edgbaston, a ground where New Zealand have lost four tests out of four, incidentally. Um, we'll be back next week to see how things turn out. Uh, until then, my thanks to Miller and George to, and to you all for tuning in. Please do rate us and leave a comment on your preferred pod provider and stay up to date with all the news on ESPNCrickInfo.com.